When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have to understand the context of that day. Late February, you know, I got on a plane. It was 82 and perfect in Miami. All right. <laughs> My buddies were playing golf that day and they called me and I said, ah, I have to go to Bristol. So flying to Bristol. Thinking about that moment, scraping the ice off my Nissan Maxima in the parking lot before the hour and a half jaunt west to go work until 2 a.m. He caught me on a bad day. And I think the reception party was, hi, now go have lunch at the cafe, which is under construction, right? There was a, we were eating in a trailer that it took three miles to walk to. Nothing like the commercials. Nothing like, the, that's the, the falsest gas I've ever seen. It's nothing like the commercials. And that's what I was expecting. I was expecting mascots. The great Arnold Palmer making himself an Arnold Palmer. Instead, he got me asking seven different Duke questions. It really, uh, <laughs> it couldn't be more 180 degrees. Sold a false bill of goods. Sold a false bill of goods. Shane Batty, I thank you for joining us here on the Underdogs Podcast. Uh, there's Jordan, there's Peter, and we're excited to talk to you about, um, you know, people identify you as Miami Heat and Duke, but there was uh, the beginning of your NBA career was with the Memphis Grizzlies. You leave the Grizzlies, you come back mid-season 2011 and uncork the one of the biggest upsets in playoff history is the number eight seed Memphis Grizzlies, the start of the grit and grind era. You guys upset the number one seed San Antonio Spurs. So I want to take a little bit of rewind. First is, how did you feel about coming back to Memphis? You were with the Houston Rockets and then you get <laughs> traded. What happened there, Shane? You know, the, the funny story about that time, um, I had a feeling I was probably going to get traded. I was in the last year of my deal. You know, Daryl is always trying, you know, Daryl Moore is my guy. I love him. I like, he taught me so much. I wouldn't be here without him, you know, but I knew, you know, he was looking at me, he wasn't talking to me as much. So I had a pretty good idea that I was going to be going to be moving at the, at the deadline. <laughs> and I, I told him, I said, look, ironically, I said, I, I get it, Daryl. I don't want you to trade me to anywhere that starts with an M. It's a true story. <laughs> you can ask him about it. I said, I said, don't trade me to Minneapolis. It's too cold. I'm not going. <laughs> don't trade me to Miami. Because at the time, I thought it was like you went there and you became Lance Armstrong. And all you knew about Miami was just like Pat Riley made his, all his guys ride bikes every day. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not Lance Armstrong. And don't send me back to Memphis. I had a good run, but like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And so I said, don't trade me to, ironically, a place that starts with an M. And, uh, you know, sure enough, um, I'm trade deadline day. We had an off day. So I'm sitting there drinking a beer, uh, you know, back in my backyard by myself, and I'm just refreshing Twitter. So that's all. That's all we had. This is like, oh you know, wow, you're early on the Twitter game. This is 2011. I don't even think there were Woj bombs in 2011. <laughs> no. So like, there was no show. You know, no, no, no trade deadline show. I'm refreshing Twitter every like 30 seconds to see if if I'm getting moved and. Uh, you know, the deadline was like three, like 3 PM, whatever, uh, central time. And sure enough at, at two fifty PM, 
and it says Battier back to Memphis. And I'm just like, Daryl, you got to be kidding me. You, uh, you got to be kidding me. And so the toughest part, my wife wasn't home that day and she was pregnant with our, with our, our daughter at the time. We, we didn't, we didn't know if it was a son or daughter and uh, calling her and said, babe, um, I'm going to be gone for a little bit. And all of a sudden she starts crying. She's hormonal and pregnant. Why are you going? Why? You know, and I said, I'm going back to Memphis. She's like, no, no. <laughs> and, and ironically, like the two days after the, the I, I leave, go back to Memphis. My wife gets put on bed rest. All right. So, uh, so I'm in Memphis. Uh, by myself, my son and my wife, my pregnant wife is on bed rest at, at home and, and I'm back. We're all started. So it was a pretty surreal time for me. Um, and at the time, I wasn't too thrilled to be back just because my wife was pregnant and um, I was in, a, in, a, in an M city again. As, as great as my time was in Memphis, I thought like I'd, I'd done it and I don't need to do it again. <laughs> so you're you're traded for who? Do you remember who is involved in that trade? Yep. Yep. Tony, my, my good friend, Tony Baroni, uh, you know, who's got a great wit, you know, uh, <laughs> called me up and just left the, uh, left me a message, uh, that played the go-go's we got the beat, we got the <laughs> beat, we got the beat. So, you know, to this day, I still get crushed for, uh, being traded for Hashim the beat. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, like the best value in that trade was probably Ish Smith. Ish is still playing. Ish Smith was in that trade. It was Ish Smith, me for Hashim to beat a bag of balls. You know, Damari Carroll had a good career. That wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. That's and do you right. know so who the first round the pick turned yeah. out to be? That was that was a pretty amazing uh, amazing trade. Do you know who Houston got? Who who that first round pick they they acquired for you ended up being? <sighs> that uh, it was a European guy, right? No. Who was that? It was a excellent defender who couldn't shoot. Andre Robertson from the well, well, Oklahoma okay. City Thunder. First round pick. Not exactly a bag of balls, but a solid, solid rotation player for the Thunder. He was pretty good, like in his own way. Like, he was, he was a really good defender. Short. It's Sheep the Beat plus Damari Carroll plus. I also feel like you can't take that much heat for getting traded for a first rounder, depending on who that pick turns into, because. You have no control over that. They got they got a one back, you know. So no, that's I, that, that's a pretty big haul. Rationally, like I get it, I understand it, I, I get it. Um, you know, as, as a player though, it's really hard to rationalize and, and focus on like what the terms are of the, of the deal. You know, when you get traded, and it was the second time I got traded, obviously to Houston, and got traded back to Memphis. You know, you you're sitting there, and your first thought is like, why don't you want me? You know, what's wrong with me? What's, you know, do you not love me? I've, I've given you everything. What's, what's wrong with me? Instead of looking at it as, look, someone's given up something of value to bring you on board. Um, and it's just because that's we are, the way we are as humans. I don't care who you are. That's your first emotion when you first get traded. I mean, that's generally how every podcast starts out with me saying <laughs> similar things to Peter and Tom. So I, I got you. Shane, what, what stands out from, from your second tour with memphis that that playoff series itself was the beginning of the grit and grind era right how was it different or similar to the first go around look i absolutely loved my my second go around in memphis um you know for me it was like it was like going to grad school 
Okay. So I went back to Memphis. I didn't have a wife and a family. <laughs> I was by myself. I had a one, one bedroom uh, uh, apartment, downtown Memphis. I used to walk to the FedEx forum uh, for practice. You know, I get done at three o'clock in the day and I'm like, I had nothing to do. So I buy a six pack of beer and, and grab my guitar and go play guitar on top of my building and watch the bar just go by. I mean, it was, it was like, it was like grad, like grad school for me. And I go to happy hour, you know, if we didn't have a game and you know, my wife would be calling and crying. I miss you. I miss you. I was like, honey, I, I can't hear you. I'm, you know, it's loud in here. I, I have to go outside. Did you ever busk? Did you ever open the guitar case and put it out and just play on the street somewhere? Thought about it, thought about it, but I wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. Um, and so I actually, like, I was running with all my old friends for my first tour in Memphis. So, like, I actually had, like, a really, really good time, even though my wife was on bed rest at home. Um, and the team itself, uh, it was a really fun team. It was the toughest team, like, physically tough guys. You know, we talk about, you know, Zebo and Tony Allen, Marcus Soul, you know, Mike Conley was, was, was a tough guy, Sam Young. You know, OJ Mayo, Darrell Arthur, like, like those were like physically tough guys and, and competitors. And, you know, I thinking about that time, like, like Lionel Hollins doesn't get enough to do. He was the perfect coach for that team. Like, he was like, Lionel's a tough dude, right? You see his hands, it's, you know, it's, it's all, yeah. it's, it's, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a grizzly, a grizzly coach. And he was so <laughs> good for that team because that team was not like the most, uh, the highest IQ team. Um, it wasn't like an execution team, but it was a really friggin' tough team. And he was the perfect coach, uh, to, to, to lead us, uh, in, in that playoff series. It's so funny Tim, for me to think of a team that had you, Marcus Gasol, and Mike Conley as not a high IQ team because of the way, obviously they were younger in their careers, but you know, you, that was sort of your calling card and the way they developed, um, you forget sort of the, how much, uh, that was about toughness with this group because, God, I love watching those two play together as they got on. Oh, they're awesome. They're, I mean, just they were, and they were great guys. I mean, I, I love, I love them. Um, you know, obviously Mark, one of my favorite, one of my favorite console brothers. I played with both. <laughs> um, but he was amazing. You know, MC was, was a young point guard, but just, just so talented. Um, and so those guys were high IQ. Um, but that wasn't the overriding theme of our team. You know, I remember in, in, in playoff, uh, a uh, playoff series, um, you know, Zebo comes out of the, out of the huddle. And obviously like a lot goes on in a playoff and in a, in, a, in a basketball huddle. And sometimes you forget like what, what the play is. So Zebo came out and he's like, yo, Batman, go Batman. Oh, 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 what am I supposed to do? I said, Zebo, stand right there. We're going to throw you the ball. You go to work. So, all right. I got, I got, I got. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> he went to work and made it happen. And so, um, just, just really just, just, tough team and uh but like really a really fun team to be a part of so let's get into those playoffs you know since 2000 uh only three eight over one seed upsets this was one you're playing the spurs um going into that series what what was the thinking in that locker room what was the thinking in in the building um you're playing a you know a team that's a pseudo dynasty where where did it go where what chances did you guys give yourselves and how did that evolve? Spurs won 61 games that year. Yeah. I mean, they're from the number one seed. <laughs> there was no fear. I mean, it was, it was the craziest thing. We were an eight seed. We did not stand. I and mean, I don't know how close we were. I mean, I think we, we, we barely slipped in. Um, obviously, I got traded to Memphis because Rudy Gay tore his Achilles that year. 
they didn't have a small forward. So obviously they give a first round pick to get a small forward, you know, they're, they're, they're wing Sam Young, Tony Allen, OJ Mayo, um, you know, just needed some, some, some length. So that's what they traded for me. Um, but like, I just remember like, when I got there, I, I didn't think we were anything remarkable. I thought we were really tough and we made shots. We were pretty good, really good defensively. Um, but that, that playoff series against the Spurs, like there was no fear. You know, we didn't look at ourselves as like, man, like the odds are against us. It doesn't happen every day that, uh, that AC beats a one team. We thought, Hey, like we have a good a shot as anybody beat these guys, you know, and they, they were really good, obviously with Ginobili and, and Parker and, and, and Timmy and, and, and those guys and pop. Um, but I don't know what the season series was that, with them and during the year, but, um, there was no fear. Zero. Yeah. When you look at um, matchups in the playoffs, do you ever watch film of the regular season matchup and say, this is how things are going to go? Or over time, is the regular season so diluted that you it's just a new season altogether? It's funny. Like the playoff basketball is the best because it's so different from game one to game four and from game four to game seven. All right. There, there are like very few surprises in the playoffs. Um, from a standpoint of like game one, we know all their plays. We know they're running wedge roll. We know what they want to get to, we, you know, they're weak and they're strong. Like it's about making shots and, and, and making plays. And, um, you know, that game one is entirely different from game two because it's all about adjustments and it's the adjustments that, that's where those coaches make their money. All right. The adjustments and the adjustments to the adjustments in the playoffs that make the entire difference. Um, and so like that was weird about our team, Like we weren't an adjustment team. We were just like, we're going to beat the hell out of you, <laughs> you know? And, and like, you know, Mark and, and Zach, I mean, those guys are monsters. And they said, yeah, I, we're just going to, we're, we're going to lean on Timmy and we're going to bang on Tiago splitter and Dewan Blair. We're like, we're just, we're just bigger and stronger and younger than they are. And we're just going to beat them up. And that was, that was our game plan. When in that series, did it shift from, we're not afraid to, we can win this. Like we're right there. And, and, and this is our series. Yeah. Game, game one, game one. And, and game one, um, is the best day of my entire life. Um, and if you don't know the story, so we're, we're playing in San Antonio, got the 12 o'clock game on Saturdays, first playoff game. Right. Which ironically is like, you know, three and a half hours away from, from Houston where my wife is on bed rest. And so obviously she couldn't go to the game, but she's, she's watching and, uh, you know, close game at halftime it was tie game, whatever. Um, in the second quarter, my wife gets up and go to the bathroom and, and she just starts bleeding. Oh no. All right. She had a, a condition called uh, placenta previa and she starts bleeding, hemorrhaging blood and has to have a neighbor driver to the hospital because she's going in labor. And so this is all obviously unbeknownst to me. And uh, we, we play the game and she has to actually go under anesthesia. She delivers our daughter, um, Eloise. And it was kind of a scary moment for a second. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on. Game happens. You know, my past history with Memphis. All right. We made the playoffs three straight years. We got swept three straight years. All right. Yeah. 0 and 12 in the playoffs. All right. That's why I got traded to Houston in the first place. So coming down the stretch, um, it's like a, it's like a one point game. Uh, I'm running the break and, uh, you know, Mike Conley hits me. I hit a big three to put us up to ends up being the difference maker in the game. So we win the game. All right. So after the game, it's just, it's nuts. All right. So the irony of like, you know, the old man comes home, 
hits the game winning shot. All right. We're in the locker room. I'm having beers. Um, you know, everyone's, you know, going crazy that, that we won the game and uh, Steve no and someone yells out, Hey Shane, I think you're having a kid. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. The trainer at the time, Drew was, you know, always had beers for me in the training room. So I'm like, tell Drew I'll be there in a second. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm holding court now. And, uh, and then all of a sudden Steve Novak comes into the, uh, into the locker room and he said, Hey, I just talked to Christina and I played with Steve in Houston. So we're very close. And Christina said, Heidi's in labor. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I checked my phone. And of course, like, like, like messages. And so luckily my brother-in-law who lived in San Antonio was a, was a, was a truck driver. He's like, let's go. And we hopped in the car and we we're going 95 the entire way and halfway uh, to, to Houston. My, my wife comes out of surgery and her first question is, did they win? Oh my God. <laughs> and our doctor, Heidi. Says, nice. our doctor is like, don't, don't you want to know if we had a boy or a girl? She's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, she calls halfway through, she's all, you know, drugged up and out of it. And she's just like, you know, heard about your game crazy. Well, you need to get to Houston to celebrate with both your girls. And I'm just sitting there like, that's when I happen. I found out I'm having a girl and I'm crying. And I'm like, and so, uh, that was the craziest day of my life. But, uh, you know, we came back from that, that, that experience. And, um, we said, look, we're, we think we can beat this team and we know we can beat this team. And, uh, you know, game two was, was tough, typical bounce back game. When we got to Memphis, um, it was on, man. The gr- that's when the grind house was a house of horrors. We talk about in college basketball a lot, how you can sort of sense that moment where an upset's possible when the, when the high seed tightens and they realize, oh my God, we're, this isn't a cakewalk. We're in this. Was there a moment in that series where you saw the Spurs realize that we're in a fight that this is like, this is like the finals for this, you know, this wasn't, this isn't easy. They knew, they, they knew they, they had a, a bus on their hands with, with Mark and, and Zebo and, and MC, um, you know, there, there, there was never any over, you know, Spurs are not an overconfident franchise and very, you know, humble. Um, but they, but they knew they had, they, they, they did not want to play us first round. And, and, they, and they knew that, um, especially after that first game, you know, when, once you get that first game, you know, the old adage of, you know, series doesn't start to the road team wins. Uh, they, they knew that it was, it was on after that. What about being the favorite? Do you like being the number one seed or the number two seed? Or do you get nervous with that? I know coming from Duke that you're a lot of times the heavy favorite, Jordan. No, Pipe I down. mean, it just, you know, it's, it's <laughs> an accustomed role and well-earned. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Like, again, I was a favorite most of my, my career in high school and, and Duke. And you, you learn to, to appreciate people's best efforts. And so, you know, when you step on the court as a favorite, you're getting everybody's best shot because you're the champ or, you know, they want, they want, they want to beat you. But I will say you have a huge advantage. No one ever loses their job because they lose to the favorite, right? That's what coach Case would say. Like, it's okay to lose the Duke. It's okay. Like no one's going to write articles about you and say you're soft. It's okay. But you have to show them that they're worthy of losing to you. And so as a favorite, if you come out and you say, look, you know, we're going to handle business. We did our job. Okay. You know what? They're the first seed. It's cool. All right. But you, if you give, you give underdog hope and you don't show them that you're that killer, you're that dog, then you got, you, then you got a series and you got a game. What would you say was your slingshot in that Spurs series? The thing that put you guys over the top that people didn't realize that is the difference maker in this series that you should have been not favored going in, but that it was, it was equal ground. I just thought that we were, we were an excellent defensive team. Um, we had a lot of confidence in 
our ability to stop people. And the Spurs weren't like a super dynamic offensive team. They were super efficient, but they weren't going to run you out the gym. Um, you know, we, we had Zebo and Mark. Those guys were just, there wasn't a lot of space to operate. <laughs> so that was, you know, and when those guys, you know, and Zebo played, you know, Zebo was Zebo. I mean, prime Zebo was just a monster. People don't know how, how difficult he was to guard and how crafty he was and how quick he actually was. And, um, you know, he was a super inspiring guy to play with. He didn't say a lot, but he just got after it. He's got after it and did his job. And, uh, you know, that, you know, Memphis is, is, is a gritty town. It's a gritty town. I just love that team. What was winning game six like in Memphis? Like what kind of part are we talking here? You're already, you're already popping beers, like dra- grabbing six packs and putting them back after game one. What was game six like in Memphis? You already had a kid during game one. So yeah. what, what, what was, what was game six? What was game six like? By the way, guys, this is the guy that famously went to Denny's after he won the 20, what was it? 2014, uh, 2013 championship. You went to, you went to Denny's to celebrate. So what would, what did a celebration look like? <laughs> yeah, what, what extravagance is awaited? Yeah. It was crazy. I'll never listen to DJ Khaled's song. All I do is win again because literally <laughs> that was the theme song of the entire playoff run. And we probably should have gone to the finals that year. We'll get into that later. But, um, uh, it was, uh, I'd never heard a pro arena that loud. Obviously, I played in Cameron in, in college. But back at the Groundhouse, it was deafening. 20,000 people screaming from the jump. I mean, it, the, the electric atmosphere was unlike anything I, I, I'd ever experienced in the pros, um, you know, to, to that point. And the, the, the city wanted it so badly just to, to say that, you know, we won a playoff series. And so in that, that game six, uh, um, you know, countdown ended. We beat them by eight you know, in game six. It was, it was a pretty, pretty convincing win. Um, you know, I was, I was just super happy for the fans, you know, fans who'd suffered through the early years and then the playoff struggles. Um, you could just feel this weight lifted off the, off the city. And it was, it was awesome. So put on your, your analyst hat for a second. Um, why are upsets of this nature so rare in the NBA? Why is it more than maybe any other sport? Why are these outcomes, especially these first round outcomes, so predictable? Why why aren't there more Grizzlies out there in, in NBA history? Well, I, I think there's there's a huge difference between being a favorite, a one, two, three seed, and, and a seven, eight seed, just in terms of execution, in terms of talent. Um you know, if you're an eight seed, you you've been inconsistent. All right. You're probably gonna be around forty one or forty one. You, you may have some talent, you may have some shot makers, but when the when the playoffs start, you have to be precise, and you have to like the margin of error shrinks. Why? Because the top players play more. All right, you're getting you're getting forty minutes from your best player versus maybe thirty two. All right, and you just have to be more on point with your game plan. You can't you can't deviate from the game plan, and so seven, eight, nine seeds they don't have that consistency. They don't have that 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 rigor and the discipline that the top teams do. If you're a top team, like you're there to win and you know it and you've proven it over 82 games. And so you don't do anything different in the playoffs, but you got to do what you do better than you have the rest of the year. And it's just, it's really, really hard for an eight seed to do that over the course of seven games. So it's hard to quantify the toughness and the grit that you're talking about. But if you had to, if you had to give it a shot, you could do it 
probably better than almost anybody. What what categories or stats would you look at? I mean, that that Memphis team took a lot of shots from inside, made a lot of shots from inside, led the league in forcing turnovers, blocked a lot of shots, had a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, is it is it piling up possessions? Is it is it stats that maybe don't mean anything in themselves but reflect physical play? What would you what would you point to to say like if you were just looking at a stat sheet? What would pop out at you to say, wow, this team, this team's playing tough? Yeah, it, it's all the plays that, that require a lot of effort. Okay. Offensive rebounding is hard. Okay. It takes physical effort and, you, and punishment because you're getting hit by people trying to keep you from the ball. Okay. And we just played volleyball. I mean, those guys just went after every board and that just takes a lot of work. All right. Creating turnovers. All right. You got to be active, you got to be a passing lane. You got to be in. You can't be a passive defensive team and create turnovers. It's, it's impossible. But you you have to give effort, right? Um, we shot a lot ton of three throws. All right, you don't create fouls by being passive. You know that takes work to create the contact, to initiate contact again and again, especially when you're tired. And so, like those three things, just require a tremendous amount of effort to do again and again and again and again and again. Um, but like, again, if you know that's your identity, it's just what you do. You're not doing anything crazy. This is, this is how we play in the playoffs. You just do it a little bit harder. So going back to the, we believe warriors in 2007, they upset Dallas and then they lost. Then you guys, you upset San Antonio and then you lose in seven games to OKC. Um, there's, there's a history of one, eight upsets, but they don't go very far after that. And I'm wondering you said it. You guys thought you should have been in the NBA Finals. So what happened there that got derailed? That triple overtime game. I mean, that's the one game. Um, San Antonio, uh, Oklahoma City was really, really good. You know, obviously, I played those guys the next year in the NBA Finals. You know, young Durant, young Westbrook, young Harden, Nick Collison. And that was a really, really, really good team. Um, and we thought that we could do the same, sort of the same thing and just like lean on them and just beat them into submission they were they were more like explosive than san antonio offensively. oh yeah i mean this is 22 year old russ and 22 year old kd like they were super explosive um and so our game plan didn't work as as well uh we couldn't score as much to keep up with them and it, it came down to the triple overtime game i mean look we, we played a triple overtime game in the grindhouse game four and it, that game was a absolute battle Holy mackerel. Mike Conley falls out. Gravis Vasquez plays the game of his life. You know, he has like 20 points, hitting shots, blowing kisses to the crowd. And we just didn't have enough in the tank in the, in the, third, in the third overtime, which is crazy. Absolute crazy. But we win that game. You know, we go up in the series 3-1. I think we close them out um, in, in game six at home. Um, it's really hard to come back, come back from 3-1. And so once they, once they won on the road, uh, we knew we'd have to do something pretty miraculous to beat them. And by game seven, we just didn't have it. We got blown out in game seven of that series in Oklahoma. Um, and it, it came to an end, but it was it was such a magical run. Um, but we had a shot. Because that was the year Dallas loses, obviously. And, um, you know, we, we win that series. We, we could have we we gone to the finals that year. I don't know. I don't know if we could have be, beat the Heat, but we would have tried to beat the hell out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if that happened, I wouldn't end up in Miami next year. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone to San Antonio. 
So when, when you look back on your career, wait, 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 wait. what you, whoa, San Antonio? Whoa. Yes. Yeah. A little more there. If the Grizzlies would have gone the championship. All right. We played the heat. All right. And like, if I would have beat them, I wasn't going to join the team that is beat. And if they beat us, I wasn't going to join the team that beat me in the finals. <laughs> so it was always between San Antonio and Miami. And the fact that Dallas beat Miami in the, in the, in the finals that year is the reason I went to Miami. I said, all right, they're going to play now. Got to stick with those M cities. Yeah, I was going to say, never, still never made the stop in Minnesota. Or Milwaukee. It's very upsetting. My mom and dad met in Minnesota, so I checked that box a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, I got to ask you your favorite Ish Smith story. Got to do it. I'm <laughs> sorry. I got to do it. What's your favorite Ish Smith playing with him? Just his energy, anything Ish Smith related for the pod. Ish is like, he's the nicest guy. You know, I remember him as like a kid. I mean, he just was like, I remember the press, the presser um, in Memphis the first day. He's just like, you know, he wasn't used to like, you know, I'm holding court with all, all the old media guys. And Ish Smith is just like, I'm, ha- I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be here. And so he was the nicest guy. And, you know, he comes in this locker room where we had some really, really tough guys. You know, I think he would... He, he, he grew up a lot in that locker room, uh, but you know, he's still playing, man, doing great. So I'm, I'm super proud of, of Ish, a great, a great guy. Well, he had in a 200 offensive rating in that series against, uh, against San wow. Antonio <laughs> in, in, uh, in five it's minutes. Be a record. Of, uh, that, was, yeah. that was wild. Yeah. Shane, you've mentioned holding court a couple of times. Did, were you, were you, um, were you giving these smooth interviews to school newspapers, like as a sixth grader? Like when, when did this, when did, when did this start? When did the media start coming to you as the guy, like a go-to guy and, and you, you enjoyed handling it. Uh, how early did that start for you? I don't know. I mean, as far back as high school, I always looked at myself as a joker. All right. And I never took myself too seriously. And so I've always thought like, you know, I'm just playing basketball, dude. Like it's not rocket science. So I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm, I'm someone who I'm not. And as a result, you know, I think people appreciate that. And, and being authentic and I'm still a joker. I'm just an old joker now. Do you remember the story I wrote in 2012 NBA finals? You're playing Kevin Durant. Oh no. Have we reached the, do you remember what I wrote about you <laughs> segment of the, of the interview? This is good plug. It was something that was very self-deprecating that Shane. Good plug. Have a Did you get him to sign it? A printed out copy? <laughs> Of course, of course. There was there was a there was a, an article I wrote about you shielding KD's eyes and whether that actually worked. And I remember just like asking you, and you're like, I don't actually think it works, but it might work, so I got to do it. <laughs> you used to do that to Kobe too, right? Yep. Yeah, it looked great. So is that an actual slingshot? Yeah. Like at the end of your career, you look back at the whole like covering up their eyes. Absolutely. It, did it work in that series against KD? Uh, in Memphis and then Miami, you went back to it. So tell the tell the people what it's like to go against KD and Kobe Bryant and just basically trying to blindfold them in the middle of a game. Yeah, like dude, like those guys are too good. Like first of all, KD's seven feet tall. I'm not really going to affect your shot at the point of release. You're not trying to shield his eyes. You're actually trying to block the ball, no. but it's, your your hand doesn't go up that high <laughs> when you're guarding a seven footer. What are you going to do against KD? All right, he's you know one of the greatest of all time, and Kobe. Um, I did it, I did it to Kobe for a different reason. All right. I did the, I, tr- I think for Kobe because Kobe was adamant he didn't have a weakness. Right. And so when I started doing this, I, I knew that like it upset him that people said that this was an effective way to stop him. And so I know Kobe will go out of his way to prove that this wouldn't work. Well, the, what's the only reason, what's the only way to do that is to take a dribble jumper, right? 
a lot of them. And what's Kobe's worst shot? A dribble jumper, right? So it was a win-win for me. Like, Kobe, yeah, go ahead and try to, to prove me wrong that this doesn't work by taking your, your relative weakness, which is the pull-up jumper. So uh, that was the game within the game within the game against Kobe. And that's why I love playing against him. But he, uh, you know, still, you know, one day we're going to have a conversation about that. He's like, no, I didn't, I didn't have a weakness. That, that didn't work against me. I said, oh, Kobe, yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's, that's why I lament and I don't, I don't get a chance to have that conversation with him in this, in this lifetime, but we'll, we'll, we'll have that conversation one day. Um, and w- with KD, like not, nothing else you can do, but the one thing that I did do, um, like guys always, uh, complained that I hit them, you know, and I had good credibility with the referees cause I treated them with respect. I knew their names. I never, I never embarrassed them. And so every third time I would do this. I'd rake the hell out of their face. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'd oh, hit the crap out of them. Dick. Oh, man. There's the secret ingredient. Yeah. Not every time. So is this effective? No. But <laughs> when you don't know you're going to get hit, it's pretty effective. So breaking news, new, new giant killing tactics, slapping guys across the face. I love it. Raking them. Periodically. Right. Because you don't know when it's coming then. You don't know when it's coming. It's like the annoying little brother, right? Right. A surprising percentage of these insights involve drinking beer and beating the hell out of people. This is actually excellent news. I am a gamesman, okay? So I, I never saw I'm below that. Um, and so, yeah. So that's what I used to do. So I used to, I used to actually get these guys. And, and the more I didn't like a guy, I'm not going to say who I didn't like, but like there's some guys I didn't like. Oh. And they got, they, got, they got hit much more than, <laughs> than uh, they probably deserved. And... I would just look at him like, ref, come on. You know, I'm the, I'm the best in the game of doing that. I'm, you know, I have amazing body control. <laughs> and it was always after like the refs looked away. So I'd, I'd do it and then like slap me. This is dirty <laughs> shit, man. That was unathletic. I had to survive. I had to like, <laughs> I got to pay the bills. I got to feed my kids, right? All right. Are there any beer drinking, face slapping teams on the bottom half of this year's playoff bracket that catch your eye from a from an upset perspective anybody whose work ethic do you do you like who's out there now pat bev let's start there pat bev you fan or kind of you're over that you know i appreciate pat bev because he look you have to deal with him right whether you like him or not you gotta deal with him right and if i'm worried about you then i'm not worried about us and that's there's some value in that. All right. Is it annoying? Yeah. But that's what I try to do. If they were worried about me, they weren't worried about us. And when you worry about us, that's when you're in trouble. You know, teams always win. Individuals don't. Um, I just don't, I just, I just think that the leagues are so top heavy this year. You know, the, the talent, again, the talent and the discipline and the focus that, um, you know, I like, I like all, all the chalk. Well, that's what I wanted to follow up on because I feel like the, there's a narrative that we're, approaching something a little more resembling competitive balance, at least than in, you know, previous areas where it was dominated by LeBron or dominated by Michael Jordan. There was one or two teams with a chance to win a, a title. Do you do you, you still think it boils down to a handful of teams with an actual chance this year? Yeah, just because of the of the consistency. Because um, again, in the playoffs there's, there's nowhere to hide. There's no there's no like wrinkle you're gonna all of a sudden throw in and be something that you haven't been for eighty two games. Um, you just gotta, you gotta be what you do and do it the best, the best of your ability with some, with some adjustments. Um, and you, you don't execute adjustments unless you have discipline and, and have your base game plan down pat, which the top seeds do. So that's, 
that's just the difference. This is, this is not, this is not the NCAA where, you know, one hot shooting night makes a huge difference and you can go, you can be hot for like, you know, two games. Um, you gotta be hot for two weeks. Do you make an exception for Brooklyn just based on who they have? Obviously there's nothing resembling consistency in anything about what they did this year. Can they, because of the talent level get hot or are they, you treat them like any other seven seed. You cannot win this thing without two and a half Hall of Famers. All right, that, that's Daryl Morey's stat. You, get, you have to have two and a half Hall of Famers on your team to, to or or something resembling that to, to win a championship. Um, and so they got a couple horses <laughs> that would be in that category. So you can't, can't count them out. <laughs> about this Memphis Grizzlies run. We've talked a lot about Memphis. Is there a part of you that just gets really excited for the city of Memphis to have this this team and John Morant and be this? Yeah, look, Memphis has a, is a great basketball town. All right, not a football town, not a baseball. They're a basketball town, so they appreciate great basketball. They did when I played. Um, they appreciate toughness. This team is a really tough team. They're a young team, energetic team. Um, you know, and so I'm happy for uh, for, for the city. I know, it's, I know, I know the grindhouse is going to be electric. Uh, starting this week. All right, Shane, this was awesome. Thanks for uh, sharing those stories with us. Jordan, do you have any any John Shire questions for him <laughs> or any any Duke stuff before he goes? Because, I mean, we, you have him here. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Shane and I will see each other at Cameron down, down the line <laughs> uh, as the John era kicks off in, in, in full bloom. But, uh, you know, recruiting is not going anywhere. So the brotherhood lives on. Are you both over? Uh, short term, at least the the uh, the Carolina game. No, I told you I will never get over that, Shane. It was crappy. It was it was a it was a pretty bad weekend. Pretty bad weekend. I mean, but woke up, you know, Tuesday morning. I, I refused to watch the game on Monday night. And uh, wow, ABC baby, ABC. Jordan, what does ABC stand for? Anybody but Carolina. It's a good day, Shane. How were your kids <laughs> after the Duke loss? Um, they took it in stride. You know, my son, um, who's a huge Duke fan, he said, you know what? Carolina actually played well. So I, I taught him to appreciate, wow. Uh, wow. you know, to, to appreciate good basketball. Carolina played, played great. I mean, I, you can't begrudge them. They made shots. You know, we're up one with, with a minute to go and they, and they made the plays. So you can't begrudge them. So see, my son got really upset and I couldn't, it was like the first time where I couldn't be the one throwing things and getting, I had to console this other person and say stuff like that. Like, Sometimes stuff just happens, but it was, it was a, it was a weird role reversal for me to try to be mature. I don't really want to have to do that again, but the kids do change your perspective. Yeah. Well, I told my kids, I said, look today, you know, we're Duke fans tomorrow. We'll be Duke fans tomorrow. Carolina fans will wake up and they're still Carolina fans. <laughs> oh, God. So we, we, we take solace in that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I respect those guys. Everyone relax. I respect those guys. I respect. Then he slapped him in the face. You know? I respect them. Yeah, you just raked the entire Tar Heel Nation across the <laughs> face. That's what you did. Yeah, slap him in the face every third time. Yeah, I tell people. I say I love Carolina. I was eight and three against them lifetime. So Carolina doesn't bother me. Like I wish. I wish I could have played them more. <laughs> I wish we played Carolina five times a year, not only twice or three times a year. So I'm perfectly fine with Carolina. Wish I could have played them more. Wow. As a Knicks fan, I just cannot process this level of entitlement. I just, I just, I mean, you know, a three game winning streak has me very excited <laughs> for any team I root for. Yeah. It's all fun of games. It's all part of the rivalry. <laughs> 
It's all fun again until someone slaps you across it's the face. Until somebody slaps you in the face, yeah. <laughs> what a terrible guess for underdogs when Shane Batty had won at every level that he was at. He just never was the underdog in his entire career. Uh, well, I've always, I'm, the reason why I'm here because I'm, I'm the ultimate underdog. And I figure, figured it out. Figured out how through gamesmanship, slapping people in the face, drinking beer, I found a way to be here. So I'm, I'm actually like the, the best guess for you. That's right. Specifically by engineering his way to team after team, that needed that kind of underdog just to go over the top, you know, and, and, and avoid while avoiding teams that beat him. I, I mean, that's pretty good underdog genius. It helps to have Zebo on your team. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Shane, that was great. Thanks so much, man. Under promised, over delivered. I mean, you're like, maybe I'll be- make it. And then you just, you're just amazing. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For those who didn't see the Zoom or the uh, social clips there, Shane Batty was wearing a Carolina blue golf polo. And I feel like, you know, he just wanted to wear that so that he could mention that eight and three stat. What do you guys think? First, I thought it was just a nice day and he pulled a polo out of the closet. Then as he talked, I realized this man is a very careful planner. And I thought maybe it's intentional. And then when he got to the eight and three record against UNC, I was like, well, yes, that that was the payoff. Clearly, clearly. It's always three-dimensional chess for that guy, whether he's slapping you in the face or, or you know, wearing a shirt. There's always an ulterior motive. I also thought, I hope when we figure out what his politics are that I like them because that man's going to be president someday. I, I, had, that, I had that reaction too. Those, those are some outstanding answers and stories. That was always the line when he was in college, like the Bill Bradley comparisons. And he never really had an interest in going in that direction, which is a shame. Well, I'll tell you what. He doesn't like Pat Bev. I could feel it in his answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little hedge. He, I respect him. I don't even know if he said that. I think he said, you got to respect him. Yeah, he couched it even. He said, you got to respect it, I guess. But, you know, people are excited about Memphis now that they, they took down the Clippers and they're a cool story with Anthony Edwards. Carl Towns has a terrible game, but they overcome that. And Pat Bev is crying after the game and pumping his chest like they won a championship. And there's this big debate on Twitter of whether it's, you know, whether hey, act like you've been there before. You don't need to sob after a game. And, and not, we're not going to discuss that. But what I want to discuss is, Hey, Memphis has been the darling team this entire year. John Morant is back. They're the heavy favorites at minus 310, uh, favorite in this series against Minnesota. And I hate to say it, I was dead wrong about the Lakers. They didn't even make the playoffs. I just figured if they made the playoffs, they'd be a good value there with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and who knows what. But Peter Keating, I'll get to you in a second. Wait, what? Peter Keating, I'll get to you in a second. Peter Keating, I'll get to you in a second because I think Jordan... As longtime listeners know... Uh, Jordan's uh, going to make you uh, feel better about Memphis's chances here in a second. So I looked at all the playoff series starting in the year 2000, which is sort of arbitrary, but whatever. The we year get to make 2000. Oh, I'm glad somebody else remembers those, those Conan sketches. They were great. They were great. Year 2000. So anyway, starting in the year 2000, we've had... 
22 seasons. And is that because it's the modern era of Nick's futility? Is yeah, that, is exactly. That, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like it's when your head really started to you know, explode. <laughs> so there've been 44 two versus seven series. I feel like there should be some backup on this. 44. Oh my God. 44. Yeah. All right. What happened in the 44? The number seven seed has won once. Two what? seeds are 43 and one. What is up with that? Seeds. The only time a seven seed beat a two seed was in 2010. The Spurs took out the Mavs in six games. And, and honestly, that was a, an injured Spurs team that was better than their, their record all year. So... That's your only upset of that variety. It's it's really remarkable. You think about one eight seeds. You've had three one eight upsets upsets in that time. One one two seven upset. So there's a mispricing there, right? Like the average two seven seed. I'm guessing people think that it happens more often than once out of every forty four opportunities. So Peter, you got to feel pretty good about that. Like Memphis, like going against this Minnesota Timberwolves team, young, inexperienced. But also, the Grizzlies are a little inexperienced here. The Grizzlies are inexperienced enough that it makes you wonder if experience really counts all that much. The, the, the Grizzlies are just a good team. A good team with depth that doesn't need to rely on its depth, but wins just as often when it does. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and look, we don't have a lot of metrics that we can correlate directly with NBA playoff success. They're just... NBA plus really hard to predict. As best as I can tell, and we'll see if you guys agree with me, you know, trying to apply the same sorts of concepts we do to college basketball, where it's really important to build possessions, right? Because you have to be able to survive against a good team on a night when, for whatever reason, your shots aren't falling. And Memphis, this is why I picked Memphis earlier when we all chose underdogs to to uh, to support for winning a championship. Memphis just had amassed possessions and was taking a lot more shots than its opponents. Well, Memphis still ranks fourth in the whole league in that category. If you look at how many field goal attempts per hundred possessions team has versus how many its opponents take, uh, Boston and Phoenix are at the top of the league. We'll talk more about both of them in a second. But Memphis ranks fourth. They're taking almost six shots more a game than their opponents. I should say per hundred possessions, not per game. And those, those top teams are way ahead of the rest of the pack. So, um, yeah, I love every – and I think that correlates a lot with what Shane Battier talked about in terms of stats that indicate physical, tough, hardworking play. That hard work goes to naught unless it builds a bigger shot differential between your team and your opponents. And so if you, if you stop turnovers, if you get to the free throw line a lot, you get a lot of offensive rebounds. Memphis does all that stuff. Historically, I looked at the two versus seven matchup. Now that I'm thinking about it, you know, your research, Jordan, points that this almost never happens. The two versus seven upset almost never happens. The implied odds uh, at Vegas over the last five years, the two versus seven, the implied odds are about 90%. So one in 10, you might get an upset when it's, it's actually much lower odds than that historically. 
So with this matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves, the implied odds suggest that it's a 75% odds that the Memphis Grizzlies prevail against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And my question is like health is John Moran healthy, but then it doesn't matter because they are juggernauts either way. The other thing I think about is Steven Adams and his ability to perform in the playoffs historically with Russell, Russell Westbrook. It didn't work because he couldn't get into the paint. You know, this is a guy, John Moran, who gets into the paint and he's the number one paint scorer in the NBA. Steven Adams is a guy who gets those second chance opportunities. He creates those offensive rebound opportunities and he keeps guys like Carl Anthony Towns off the board. So I think this series is going to pivot on Steven Adams' ability to stay on the floor and be effective when the game slows down. Can they get high quality shots with John Moran on the floor with Steven Adams? That's going to be interesting for me to see because right now Vegas thinks that Memphis is vulnerable here compared to what two seven seeds usually are as a 90% implied odds. They have it at 75% from Memphis. Yeah. Jordan, there has to be something about special about the two or the seven bad or good in order for you to go the other way on that. Right. And, and I love what Tom said about Steven Adams as a percentage of all rebounds. Steven Adams gets a share uh, more than half his rebounds on the offensive end, a bigger share than anybody in the league. And then that literally creates second chance shots. I think when you have a team that sort of comes out of nowhere, like Memphis did this year, there's this latent um, skepticism about them anew in the playoffs, even though they're the second best record in the entire NBA. So I think that's reflected in the odds you're talking about, Tom. But I, I, I'm with Peter. I think they're a significantly better team than Minnesota is with lots of different ways to beat you. So I am sticking with history on this one. I, I don't see an upset in this series. The other one, maybe. The East has a whole other level of intrigue, but I'm not buying Pat Bev and and Cat. They're 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 as inexperienced as Memphis is without the sort of the 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 chemistry and the da- balance and the depth that Memphis has achieved. Although it's fine with me if they want to burst into tears and hug each other and celebrate a game. I mean, you can't deny. I don't think you should deny players their emotions. I mean, it's a big win. It's a big win, but it doesn't mean they're going to get four more. Big wins out of seven. We want these games to mean something, right? We want these guys to care. And suddenly when they care deeply, emotionally about winning a basketball game that wasn't even in the playoffs, people get upset about it. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it drives me nuts. I mean, I in the reaction, I could not believe that he was sobbing. But after thinking about it, I get it. Like, that's what we want. They haven't had that many big wins. Well, so. and he's beating a team that he cared about and that gave right. up on him. Like, these right. are humans with emotions. I, I, look, right. I... Tom, you once said something to me that I I like to repeat, which is Twitter isn't real, and uh, I, I'm tired of the how cynical everyone is there. Screw I it. I thought you were going to say Tom said something to you that made you burst into tears and hug me because it was such a big, meaningful, emotional moment, even though it wasn't in the playoffs. Tom and my private conversations can stay private. <laughs> you just brought it public, though. <laughs> you just did it. Let me ask you this: Is anybody on Brooklyn going to be that emotional? about beating anybody. That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, because I do want to hit this. Shane Battier said, quoting Daryl Morey, that you need two and a half, two and a half Hall of Famers. You got Kyrie, you got KD, but who's that third piece? Because they're going to need it going against this Boston Celtics does team. The, does the coach count? The coach doesn't count. I yeah, guess. does Blake Griffin count? Does LaMarcus Aldridge count? Like, mm, I don't know. But Boston right now, they're the slight favorites on DraftKings, minus 130. Um, they're the favorite. Brooklyn is at plus 110. That is a coin flip. And last year, Phoenix was 
not favored against the Lakers, right? Remember that Lakers were not, they were the actual favorites in that seven, two matchup in Phoenix, uh, was the underdog and they actually obviously prevailed and went on to, to the finals. It's not quite that lopsided in this, in this series between Boston and Brooklyn, but it is a lot closer than what your historical research shows, Jordan. It should be. You can't treat Brooklyn like any team ever. There's just, I, I don't know what they are. There's certainly no consistency there. Kyrie and KD barely played together, let alone the looming figure of Ben Simmons and whatever that means. There's that, that roster has been in flux for two years, um, but you can't deny the high level shot making in a close game that you, you can't find two guys like KD and Kyrie who make tough shots on any other team, maybe other than the Warriors in terms of just historical clutch shooting. Let me use the most basic statistic available. Okay. I'm just going to give you, I'll make this really quick. Here's a, here's a list of numbers, 120, 122, 120, 123, 119, 132, and 123. Those are the point totals allowed, surrendered by the Nets in the past, uh, what's that, the past three weeks. I mean, I mean, I let, I mean, my, my grandma, God rest her soul, has been uh, passed away 20 years ago, but I swear I saw her running past Julius Randle. Um, uh, I'm sorry, letting Julius Randle run past her in that, that game, that first half against the Knicks, which, which they didn't even give up 120 points, but they look, they look terrible. Look, Boston, we talked about amassing, uh, possessions and shots. Boston is taking seven and a half more shots per hundred possessions, which they don't have. They, they have very few of in a game because their pace is, I think one of the slowest in the league. Seven and a half more possessions, uh, more shots per hundred possessions than their opponents. Uh, that's the highest figure in the game. I find it very hard to think that that's somehow going to get strangled or cut down um, by any margin significantly uh, during the playoffs. And Boston also is the best defensive team in the league. And I'll give you one mind-blowing stat, and then I'll let Jordan talk, because here, this should be our social media clip. Jordan knows a lot more about this than me here. Quick, get that down. That yeah, I said please, that. Wow. please frame that. But, yeah. but I, you know, Marcus Smart switches on more than 30% of plays. If you have a player that is that trustworthy and executes at that high a level defensively, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. Shane Battier also said, teams always win, individuals never do. So, you know... Brooklyn, good luck. As Brooklyn has gotten more obnoxious about the potential of its big stars, which still hasn't really turned into anything they do together on the court, I find myself getting more and more dubious about them. Look, it's hard to trust a team that is constantly trying to figure out who its four and five are, whether it's Andre Drummond, Mark Saldridge, or Blake Griffin at one point this season, and Claxton and on and on and on. So yes, you have your defensive issues there. A team that's relying that heavily on Bruce Brown that has Seth Curry should be a really important player for this team. He's hurt. And again, is Ben Simmons going to make an appearance at some point? Is He hasn't played in a year. Can you actually think that a team's defense is going to improve just by sticking him on the court? No, because defense is a team scenario. I think they can beat the Celtics 
I don't see them getting by Milwaukee. So, like, I'm not getting on this train. I'm not either. And Boston, look, that last year in that gentleman's sweep by the Brooklyn Nets, they didn't have Jalen Brown. They didn't have him. When you're talking about their weapons this year, vastly superior to, to last year. And yes, Robert Williams is out, and that's going to hurt them. I think that's a huge, huge, huge loss. So does Bruce Brown, right? Bruce Brown said in the press conference last night that that's a huge loss for them and we can go right at Al Horford and Daniel Tyson. You know what happened after that? KD was like, shut your mouth. <laughs> like, enough. Are you kidding yeah. me? You go right at Al Horford. So right, they got right, the bulletin yeah. board material. They got Jalen Brown back. They don't have to deal with the whole Toronto situation and dealing with the with the the vaccine mandates and in, in, across the border. I like Brook. I like Brooklyn against most teams, like against Chicago. Um, I like I like them, of course, against any of that eight seeds. But against Boston. I don't like that matchup. I don't like the the value there for Brooklyn. I think they're overrated. They're nine and six this year when KD plays with Kyrie without James Harden. Hardly world beater stuff. That's not championship material. Like we we always talk about, oh, you don't want to face them. Like teams are terrified. No, like that's not that's not the case. They're nine and six. They're very beatable. The Charlotte Hornets beat them that what in in Brooklyn a few weeks ago when people were saying, watch out for the Brooklyn Nets, they're about to go on a run, and then Charlotte whacks them. So I think they're vulnerable. Uh, I think Boston wins this series. And like, do I think they can win they can come out of East? Sure, but every team in the East can come out of it. I mean, this is the the most condensed. What, top to bottom, Eastern Conference, one through 10, according to Elias, the most condensed, only 10 games separating the number one team and the number 10 team in the Eastern Conference, the, the shortest gap in NBA history. So any team can come out of the East. And that's the next phase of this I wanted to get into from an underdog perspective, which is that I think you have these competing narratives, right? We have all these stats that show that the NBA is the most predictable playoffs of any major sport. So we have all this research I did since 2000. The team with home court advantage in a series is has won that series 251 times, lost only 79. That's a 76% winning percentage. And of those 79 upsets, 51 of them had a zero or one seed difference. So you just don't get big upsets in the NBA playoffs. On the other hand, the narrative of the past two years and going through this year is that we're starting to see something a little more resembling competitive balance in the NBA. Last year, your final four teams were a two seed, a three seed, a four seed, and a five seed. The year before, it was a one, a three, a three, and a five. So we've liked to sort of think that things are spreading out a little bit. You see it in the MVP debate this year. Anecdotally, it looks like there's a lot of teams that could beat each other on a given night. What I think that is doing, though, is shortchanging the Phoenix Suns. So another cool piece of research we uncovered here for this this show. The Suns were eight games better than the next highest team in the NBA, the, the, the Grizzlies. They won eight more games than them. Since the playoffs expanded to 16 teams in 1984, that's happened four other times where, where a team was eight games or more better than the field. All four of those teams won championships. The uh, 83-84 Celtics, the 91-92 Bulls, the 95-96 Bulls, and the 99-2000 Lakers. So by historic standards, what Phoenix has done this year has been underappreciated and is, is a hallmark of a champion. Now, they won 64 games. They didn't win 70 games. They 
has some flaws we can get into in a second, but there are some competing elements here. How much do we think there really is parity and how much are we just sort of still underrating underrating Phoenix, who's a plus 255 to win the title now, which seems like good value based on what we just talked about? See, I point to another stat. Their simple rating system score, basically their margin of victory adjusted for a strength of schedule. You can find it on Basketball Reference. It's 6.94. Historically, that ranks 77th all time. (laughs) 76 teams have performed better in the regular season than this Phoenix Suns team that, yes, has an eight-game lead over everybody in the standings. But I think a lot of that eight-game lead can be uh, subject to luck or injuries. Um, You know, we see a lot of the injuries across the NBA. The Phoenix Suns did have some injuries to Chris Paul, of course, um, and some others on their team. But they, Mikel Bridges was there just about every game, and Devin Booker was there for most of those games. And I just think that when we talk about the historic greatness of Phoenix, there was a time when we were underrating Phoenix because they lost in the finals and they're kind of boring. They brought everyone back. There's no new player here. That's super exciting. Um, people know Chris Paul. It's not like, it's not like we need to learn anything from this Phoenix Suns team in the regular season. But I think what we do sometimes in the media is we overcompensate and we try to give some love to the underappreciated team. And then it gets a little bit much. And I think that's where we're headed here is we've swung too far in the other direction where now I think the Phoenix Suns are overrated. Like, are they an all time great team? Maybe. But the numbers certainly don't bear that out in terms of the, the season long margin of victory and then adjusted for your schedule does not love this team. In fact, they're not even the best team in the NBA by that standard. The Boston Celtics are. Mm. So are they overrated by historic standards or are they overrated as a, as the favorite to win this year? Cause I think there's, there's two different things, right? Are they the best of this, of this mix? I think they probably still are. Although I, I still may not pick them to, to win the title spoiler alert, but I, I like look yeah they're not they're not the ninety six bulls, but maybe it's just that in a league where talent is more spread out where there is just a greater level of caliber athlete in general, maybe they're the best of that that mix right, especially because you might think that one reason there's you know there there there's obviously measured by if you're gonna measure by games like there's ten games difference between the all the playoff teams in the east right, which is narrow. One reason why that might be happening and why it might there might be parity increasing at least temporarily is because a lot of dynasties are based around all-time Hall of Famers, and LeBron James may now be in the terminal phase of his Ooh. Hall of Fame career, right? Maybe. We don't there. know. I kind of felt like but, you were using your words very well, carefully well, I mean, like You don't want to bury him yet. The last year or two, he's not Jordan with the 96 or the 90 or the 93 or whatever, whatever Bulls team you want to mention. And so no team can be that dominant maybe if the guy who was maybe the single most dominant player ever isn't really even playing. But Phoenix did outscore its opponents by a greater margin than any team in the league. Now, it might not be number one in the simple rating system after some schedule strength of schedule adjustments. It's right up there with Boston, right? So maybe Jordan's right. Maybe maybe what we're doing is, I mean, by the collective we, by not talking about Phoenix much as a championship contender is underrating it in that aspect, even if it's not an all-time great team, because right now 
maybe there are no all great all time great teams. Maybe those teams are either on their way down or emerging, still emerging. We're in one of those one of those lulls, you know, like 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 used to happen at the end of Yankees dynasties in baseball. Oh, you know, boy. Well, no, this no, is, no, look, for, this isn't happening in a vacuum. It's not happening in a vacuum. So that's where I throw it back to Tom. Is there a team you distinctly like better than Phoenix, or are there multiple teams? Well, in terms of value, it's Golden State. I mean, Golden State, when you look at their odds, DraftKings right now has them at plus 850 um, behind Brooklyn, behind Milwaukee, behind Phoenix. I think that's incredible value. I mean, the if Steph Curry is back, and that's the if, that's the reason why they're not the favorites, right? The if factor of Steph Curry being back. If he's back, I think they're the favorites. They should be the favorites. And unlike unlike Brooklyn, right, you do have confidence that they can play their basic game together. Well, that's right? what I wanted to ask. Do you worry at all how little he and Draymond and Clay have played together um, in recent months? Institutional knowledge. Okay. You don't have that with LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And secondly, their their talents, their skill sets are much more spread out, diversified, and not so offensively hinged so that they – like. KD was incredible against Cleveland, incredible defensively. They still almost lost that game. And Cleveland got to the rack every single time in that fourth quarter when they wanted to with Karis LeVert and Darius Garland. What happens when that's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? It's like, or, or Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, I just think their defense is such a liability and it was almost their their downfall against Cleveland, a very injured and broken t- uh, Cleveland team. I don't have faith in them. Whereas with the Warriors, I already know that J- if Draymond Green is out there, they're going to have a top two, top three defense. If Steph Curry's out there, I know they're going to have a top three offense. Jordan Poole has been e- excellent in that role of the super sub, get 20 points a game. Klay Thompson has been electric at the end of the year. I have no issues. If I'm going to put any money on any team in the NBA Finals future to pit, to win it all, it's Golden State. And I do think what Golden State speaks to is how much is still in flux, more than than a typical season at this point. I think. Look, you have you have the Curry injury and Draymond's recent injuries for Golden State. You have Luka Doncic. You don't even know what's happening with him in Dallas. You, you had. Denver praying for Jamal Murray to come back, which I, I doesn't look like it's going to happen at this point, but that's still in flux. We talked about how how messed up the Nets are in terms of everything that Shane Battier talked about, consistency, continuity, that's missing on so many of these these rosters. Um, even, even the Clippers, right? Get Paul George back late. You know, they've been praying for a Kawhi miracle for a while. This is just, it's just a weird year in terms of, injuries in terms of continuity, late season trades, Harden ending up in Philly. There's there's not much you can really know about these teams, which is why I find myself being drawn back to Milwaukee again. I don't think we saw their best effort throughout the season on every night, which happens with a championship team. But get me into a seven-game series where they care. I have a hard time betting against Giannis, Chris Middleton, and my guy, Drew Holiday. Well, one thing to really watch based on what you're saying, and it's, I think I agree with all of that, is that uh, we, need, we, we really need to watch whether the injuries spike this year, which when we did the COVID research, like it turned out that players were missing more time, not just because of COVID, but they were missing more time in general and for reasons other than COVID than they did last year or the year before. And we need to, we need to find out 
hopefully will it'll become clearer next year where their injuries are just rising as a long-term trend. Peter, I am so glad you brought that up because on the basketball Illuminati podcast. Yeah. And you've done a lot of work on that. I did some research and found that all NBA players now miss on average 30 games a year, 30 games a year. Last year's all NBA team average this season, 52 games played and a whole bunch of stats in there from that episode of Basketball Illuminati, Basketball Illuminati, Basketball Illuminati. I say it three times to keep my third eye open. That is... But um, bum Wait, it's not like Beetlejuice where if you say it three times, a mean appears in the chat? <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? I'm going to do a Stephen A impression. So I think... When we talk about injuries, also just how unavailable the stars are in the regular season, that muddies up the picture and there's a lot of variance and a lot of uncertainty come playoff time, which means this podcast is a lot more valuable to listen to because we're going to give you the information. We're going to give you the information allows you to go bet or go um, root for certain teams and feel good about those odds because there is a lot of fog right now in the NBA. Jeff Stotts, our truth teller guest on the Illuminati podcast talked about, you know, Luca's injury, Steph's injury, Kawhi, the chances that Ben Simmons comes back and what kind of player he'll be. So definitely check that out on basketball Illuminati on as part of the Levitard and friends podcast network. But the biggest thing I want people to understand is Shane Battier, that was a dirty, dirty play with the whole raking thing. I can't get over that. You know, I appreciate a man who can, you know, admit when he plays dirty or admit that he, you know what, when the referees didn't look, yeah, I I raked that dude across the face. That was, that was great. I loved having him on and I did not expect that. You know what's interesting about that? I'm curious about the guys who are getting slapped across the face. To me, if that were happening to me routinely, and I were playing the NBA, I'd be going to the media. I'd be like, listen, this guy's intentionally slapping me in the face. He's doing it all the time. Oh, but look, look, that's all part of the strategy. He said he did it only every third time or so. And when the refs weren't looking, and then he would say to the refs, come on, I have good body control and and I'm friendly to you. These teams like, had video coordinators. They could have pulled. Would you suspect me of that? It's pretty. It was pretty cool how it was a media, referee, and defensive strategy rolled into one. They were all in cahoots. There was a conspiracy all working together there. I hear what you're saying, Peter. All manipulated by one guy who calls himself, quote unquote, unathletic. Yeah. Batman, Batman. Wait a minute. Milwaukee. Minus 1,000 in that series against Chicago. Maybe it's because they have Grayson Allen, another Dookie who has some ah. yeah. some tendencies that might be between yeah, the lines. except there's nothing subtle about Grayson. <laughs> yeah. There's no hidden slapping there. It's all out there for everyone to see. <laughs> if we waited this long to get to our agent of chaos and it turns out that one of them might be injuries, it's really interesting. What kind of teams can you trust to play guys who haven't been together all season suddenly and suddenly expect them to perform as a unit in the playoffs. Do you think offense comes together more quickly or yes. or, or defense? Definitely offense. Right? Defense is much more of a team construct. Okay. So then what I what I really want people to remember is that you guys mentioned the uh <laughs> the Nets uh game against uh Charlotte Two nights after that, they gave up 123 points to the Pistons. And I think that was with Harden and Kyrie both playing. And that was just before they gave up 120 points to Milwaukee. They're bad defensively. They're bad. Durant and Kyrie, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Durant and Kyrie. Yeah. So, I mean, so so good luck having that all gel 
by by adding Ben Simmons into the mix in, in in a few days. I mean, I just a certain at a certain point, you know, you gotta you gotta get away from the me- the media and controversy capitals of the world and appreciate a little town like Phoenix. Not to mention Memphis. All right, fellas. That'll do it on this week's episode of the Underdogs Podcast. Go follow Jordan at Jordan Brenner on Twitter. Um, as long as you're not cynical and negative, he will respond. And then there's Peter at Peter Keating, NJ, not MJ for Michael. It's new as in New Jersey. Uh, and I'm at Tom Haberstrow. Guys, I'm excited to get these playoffs off and running. Can't wait to see what we're going to talk about next week. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and go tell your friends about the Underdogs Podcast. Till next time. Go Stephen Kwan. Oh, a little teaser? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.